I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha. I'm going to talk about embracing change today. It's what Hogan, one of the abbots of our monastery, who's away square dancing this weekend with his wife, Chosen, the other abbot, It's what he suggested that I reflect on and talk about today. Change, change that's universal, that we're all familiar with, and changes that are happening within our specific community and within our specific building. One view that that, um, we as a group talk about um, religion from is is a view that references prophets that lived a very long time ago. Many religions source prophets from a fairly similar era in, in history. These people that um, awakened had very divine relationships with uh, their lives were turning figures in their time and have had followers for a few thousand years since then. And along the way, there have been heavy hitters that pop up every now and then. This is certainly true in Buddhism and other religions as well. And as you get closer and closer to the present, the heavy hitters aren't aren't quite as heavy as the big one that is represented by the Buddha in our tradition 2,500 years ago. Someone who really um, completely woke up to the nature of the universe, the nature of, of and um, the Buddha spent a lifetime preaching about not just that, but using that to integrate non-suffering into a person's life. We look upon such a person with modern eyes and become confused when we hear things like the Buddha was reluctant to ordain women. We have this view that there was this deeply awakened person that that set the bar way, way up there, so, so high that it's, it's out of reach from where we are and yet we see um, actions of theirs 
that just don't quite fit with how we actually see an awakened person. One other way that we might view this religious timeline is that we are we are the fruition of the Buddha's practice, of the awakening of these prophets. And using the example that I brought up, gender equality, um, through us, the Buddha began to realize that. That's our practice that started to open that up. And it's our responsibility to continue to open that up. And we can have gratitude for the Buddha for getting the ball rolling in a really significant way. And we can have gratitude for ourselves for keeping that ball rolling and clarifying further things that maybe weren't clear back then. And we can pray that generations down, our children, our descendants, clarify things that we're completely deluded about right now and just don't have a clue. And we can pray that 10 years from now, we wake up to things that we're totally deluded about right now. We can pray that in 10 years, we look upon ourselves now as absolute fools. Hogan uh, often expresses this aspiration. Again, one of the abbots of, of our monastery that that a good sign for us as practitioners, as people who intentionally cultivate wisdom, virtue, expansiveness of heart, that such people continually look back upon themselves as fools because we're continually growing. Embracing change. Embracing change is my theme right now. Embracing change is something that we must do, not because we know that change is good, but rather because we don't know that change is bad. And so we must embrace it. And so we must hold back from knowing what the outcome will be. We must hold back from being afraid of what we think is happening because we don't know what is happening. One large enemy, so to speak, of our time, we call climate change. I was speaking with a friend a few months ago um, who 
referenced a phrase from a Buddhist ecologist, I believe, I don't know who it was, describing um, global warming and used the phrase, what if this is not happening because of us? What if this is happening for us? It's very frightening to hold a view that encompasses natural disasters as benevolent hands, as things that are part of our spiritual evolution. But the fruition of the awakening of all the prophets, all the spiritual sages of old, the fruition of their deep practice was all the traumatic events that took place in the 20th century. World War One, World War Two, climate change. When we really do our best, when we really engage our lives fully, it does not prevent bad things from happening. That's not what wholehearted engagement is about. We're simply called to do it and must do it because we're called to do it. The abbots are square dancing this weekend as they like to do, but more than that, what they like to do is support leadership within their sangha, within their community. So they step away to give other people like myself opportunity to sit here before you and share some. In uh, about a month from now, some members of our community are, are getting together to have a discussion about this change that's happening, which for some is, is rather frightening. I've lived here for about the last 10 years, and a lot of the assurance that I've received about the value of my life has come from the abbots, Hogan and Chosen, in part because I look up to them and I really respect who they are, what they embody, what they do, what they've created. And because I respect who they are, what they do, and what they've created, I feel good about contributing to that and contributing to them. And they've also been very affirming for me over the years and, and very proactively appreciated how I've contributed to this organization. But as they step back, it's fairly frightening because that source of affirmation 
that specific source of confidence, that source that assures me that I'm living in a good way is, is uh, fading away intentionally. And so there's a little space of fear in my heart. And as a community, as a whole, without, without these uh, present-day heavy hitters really telling us on a day-to-day basis, look at the nature of your own mind, be compassionate, be skillful, be wise, as they step back, we have to find that certainty within ourselves. We get to find out if we actually knew what to do all along, or if we were just following someone else's lead. And that's, you know, that's what growth is. But the process can be frightening. The process can look like, the process can look like a big argument during an administrative meeting because the boss is no longer present and we don't know how to make a decision any longer. We're like, we're like a bunch of insecure uh, pack dogs who just don't know who's in charge and we're used to knowing who's in charge. Riding the process of change is a very, very beautiful thing. There's lots of changes going on in the building right now, as regulars have noticed. The residence area has got some nice private rooms. The cafeteria basically flipped itself 180 degrees over the course of a week. And it's quite nice now. It's quite nice. In a way, these items are fruits of a changing and evolving organization. We needed a little more space in the cafeteria, so we found a way to do it. Our value for longer-term residents having private housing has grown over the years. And we made steps to make that happen. And over the years, our relationship to our tradition has really evolved. We've taken steps that have changed the schedule in, in significant ways. 
we have integrated different elements, broadening the things that we practice here. And just like as a religion, we look back at the sages of old and go, wow. So too, as a building and practicing residential community that's been here for 20 years, we look back at, at the way the community practiced 15 years ago and think, oh man, they were rough back then. <laughs> they were really solid. They were really austere. They really had their stuff together. We're kind of loosey-goosey now. And it's a similar, it's a similar phenomenon in a way. But maybe, maybe we can have faith that it's not the case that the Buddha was really awesome and it's just kind of been downhill ever since, (laughs) but rather we are the fruition of the Buddha's practice. Insofar as the Buddha was great, so are we. And it is our responsibility to continue to open that up. Similarly, the founders of this organization the progenitors of your biological family, what they did was a great thing. And it's our responsibility to open that up, to pay that forward, to be the extension of the good works that they did. To have faith, as, as Hogan said, which I referenced earlier, that people here in, in this room, since this building started, have really sincerely been practicing for 20 years, have really sincerely been seeking for clarity within themselves, honestly drilling into their own hearts, admitting delusion, letting go of greed, anger, and ignorance, atoning for wrongdoing, becoming wiser, and from this view, trusting that so long as we keep doing that living practice, so long as we keep looking clearly into our own hearts and minds, we can trust that we are going in a beneficial 
way. That, that we didn't just really screw up somewhere along the line. It's an easy view to take, to look back at the past and say, gosh, where did I go wrong? To look back at the evolution of our residential community and say, where, where did we just start going soft? Where did that happen? A really beautiful event took place here just, um, just a couple nights ago in which the residential community really completely broke form during one of our ceremonies because someone needed help. A superficial way of describing it perhaps Really, we all needed help. Needed to know. Needed to know what our ritual was serving and what it wasn't serving, and what it was that we actually needed to do. The rituals that we all perform are the habit patterns of our own minds. And we need to know when that serves us. And we need to know when that has become rote. And we need to see when the opportunity to go beyond our rehearsed habit patterns presents itself. And to move in that direction. I have a lot of gratitude for the tradition that I'm in and the rituals that are a part of it that we all practice here. As our community has evolved, some of them we do less than we used to. We're in a phase right now where we're not doing our formal meals and the positive side of that is having informal gatherings together in the morning. There's some really nice heart-to-heart connection that's been happening among the residents, being easy around each other. Let's more of ourselves in. And, you know, I really like Oriyoki. That's the name of our formal meal. It involves some chanting and some cool moves you do with some utensils and bowls and sitting in lines. 
staring at the table. I really like it. And I miss it. I really appreciate it. But, but we have to be clear about what the rituals serve and what they don't serve. We're currently not um, chanting our full ancestors list in our, our morning service. Uh, we've abbreviated our service in order to uh, make space for a creative process period that we have integrated into the schedule right now in which all residents are practicing with a specific uh, medium, a specific art medium, and doing this on a daily basis, preparing for uh, a presentation which we have to offer you in approximately a month. And it's a really beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing. And I, I, I miss chanting the ancestors list in the morning. I used to hate it. Probably took me two years to stop hating it. We don't do it as part of Sunday program because it maybe takes the average person two years of doing it daily to get over it. And if you do the math, we've got Sunday program once a week. That means it might take like one of you 10 years to get over it. And we just, we wouldn't cultivate a Sunday program if there was that much aversion to the chanting service. You know, and, the, and the aversion comes from the rational mind. You know, some of these people probably didn't even exist and, and they didn't occur in this order. And we have nothing but mythology about some of these people. And, But what they, what they represent and what the ritual represents and who some of them were is brought alive by reading their names day after day of acknowledging that all these different people, that this whole stream fills, fills every space between um, the past and the present, between me and the heavy hitter. That, that it is a seamless continuum and that every state of mind that can occur, every delusion that can be thought, can be opened up, can be seen into, can be wisened. And that's what the ancestors represent. They represent that there's nothing in me that can't be learned from, 
There is no obstacle that can't be faced. And it also points to the function of my life because I'm not an endpoint in the ancestors list. Just as the Buddha is not a bookend in the past on the ancestors list. But I'm the medium through which the ancestors continue. We are the medium through which the ancestors continue. Our virtue continues their virtue. Another way we have this view, an archeological view, maybe we could frame it, I don't know, that things were really stable for a very, very, very long time. And then all of a sudden we all started getting crazy and hectic and iPads. (laughs) That's another view that we really have as a culture. That, that, that evolution, and you know, there's, there's, we've seen this, these graphs, whether they're talking about um, population growth or, or presence of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, um, graphs that, that show change over time. And these graphs look like this. And, and somehow this means the apocalypse. <laughs> change is what we're change is what we're talking about. Change is what this is about. We have to we have we have to embrace that change. We can't be afraid of that change. We have to surf that change. We have to allow that we don't know we don't know what is going to happen. We have to allow that that if if, if these prophets were as, if they were as wonderful as we say they are, then we are the fruition of that wonder. And that what is happening is also, and we have to embrace that and ride that, and not resist that. Um, as many of you know, Shanae and I are, are planning to step out of the monastery in September. And after having been here and been 
so thoroughly supported for the last 10 years, it's a really frightening prospect. What I shared earlier about the fear, um, really the fear of self-worth as the abbots step away, um, I really feel personally, it's very easy to have a meaningful life here. Maybe true for living in community in general, where there's always someone who needs something. There's always someone asking you for something. There's always something to fix or to work on or to plan for. It's very, it really helps in, in having a meaningful life. And one of my fears in our stepping away is, is, is will, I, will I find that meaning? But I have to trust, I have to trust change. Because, again, as, as Hogan says, it refers to the monastery, it refers to Zen Community of Oregon, the organization, and it refers to Earth. All of us are here for a short period of time. None of us were here forever. So, so may you change enough such that your children look upon you as fools such that such that the population a hundred years from now look upon us as dogmatic savages Because that really is the best case scenario. <laughs> that really is uh, proof, proof that, that, that we've been turning the Dharma wheel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>